Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, hey, and welcome back to Podcast 425. This is Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. Excited to talk about persuasion, motivation, influence, everything you should have learned in school. We've got everything lined up today from the Geeky Scarly article to the ninja this week to those forgotten sales and persuasion techniques, the lost, the unknown, the forgotten, sometimes overlooked and ignored, that are still very important in the persuasion and influence process. Crazy week for me, a little tired. Been starting webinars, those Zoom things at 4 a.m., doing stuff to a European and Asian audience. Gets kind of crazy with the time zone thing. But here, doing well, hope you're feeling good, and hope you're achieving your goals. Said it before, everything you want in life's on the other side of persuasion. So let's dive in first with not the blunder, but the ninja. So contractors have a bad rap. You know, the ones that fix up your homes and do things around the house, whether it's painting or construction or building the house. Now, a lot of them are using the old COVID excuse. Oh, yeah, supply chain COVID. We can't build it. I've seen homes near me in construction for over a year. Is it true? I'm sure there's some truth. But contractors have always, you know, show up, rip it up, and don't show up for a while. So we've been doing some home projects, having the same problems we had even before COVID. But that's the excuse. They don't show up. This, lots of excuses. I mean, these are people that have been recommended, that have done good work, but challenge, problem, challenge, problem. So this ninja is kind of interesting. We were getting a quote, and we were asking for some referrals. And he says, I don't give referrals. <laughs> what? So like, yeah, I've been burned. You know, if I give a referral and it doesn't work out, my name's on the line. And that's so true. Just like when a sports star or an actor endorses a product, your neck's on the line. If they do something stupid, there's an association between the two. We know that to be true. So I thought that was really interesting, but that's not the ninja. The ninja is obviously multiple bids, multiple people coming. There's other companies out there. Who's the best? And I've talked about on the show before that you just can't badmouth the competition. Now in sales, it's badmouthing. In the workplace, it's probably gossiping, pulling people down, blaming, pointing fingers, telling somebody else how bad somebody else is. That just pulls everyone down. It gets a bad feeling. But the challenge is... It hurts you more than it hurts them. If you're in sales and somebody asks you about company XYZ and you just rip them a new one, or in a job interview and they ask you about your old company, your old boss, and you rip them a new one, you're negative, you're pessimistic, you say mean things, that comes back to you. So you have to be very careful. But then it's a fine line. If you know someone's talking to a company that's not good, that's not going to take care of them, you want to let them know. You want to put yourself in the best light. But if you start saying things that are very negative, it could come back and probably will come back to haunt you. Just saying, just put it out there. So what do you do? Give them a way to find out for themselves. And that's what this guy did. Didn't say anything negative. Says, yeah, I know them. I've worked with them. I've done this and this. 
make sure you go through and read everyone's reviews. Here's where you find your reviews. This is the best spot. This is what you do. And gave us a way to find out who had the best reviews and who didn't without saying anything negative or condescending. That is the key. That is the ninja. I know you want to protect them. I know you want to let them know that they're bad, they're not good, that you're the best. Hopefully you are. But you have to give them a way to find out for themselves that they're terrible people, they're a terrible company. Whether it's reviews or asking for testimonials, whatever it is, that is the ninja. So let's go to our geeky scholarly article. This comes from Parroting Science, Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, Psychological Science, and Dr. Gwen Dewar about praise in kids and intelligence that when you tell kids, especially, that they're smart, it can make them act dumb. Interesting. A little controversial, but let's talk about it. So it used to be people just didn't praise their kids. Oh, they'd become arrogant and narcissistic. Okay. Then there was a the self-esteem movement. You need to have flattery to succeed. <laughs> we shouldn't keep score. Everyone's a winner. I know we've, had, we've talked about that. There's challenges to that. And as parents, you know, you want your kids to grow up the best with good self-esteem, obviously. And there's always been controversial studies and topics within parenting from discipline to praise to even education. So they said when you tell a kid, hey, you're smart, they can act dumb and they have evidence. So when you praise kids for their ability, it makes them focus on looking good, not learning. And there's no secret here, let me add, that when you praise something, you get more of it. That's just kind of how it works, whether it's in the workplace or with your children. When you praise kids for their intelligence, they want to keep proving themselves by doing well. Right? Sounds good, right? But they did an interesting study with fifth graders and found that kids behave very differently depending on the kinds of praise they received. Now, if you're interested in how to praise the right way to do it, go back to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Check out the archives for esteem and praise. Also, as you know, the home for your Persuasion IQ assessment, it's free, and everything you need to know about our training and how we can take your success to the next level. All right. Now, with that out of the way, let's continue to talk about it. So kids who are praised for their intelligence tend to avoid challenges because they want to keep proving that they were intelligent. They didn't want to look dumb. So instead, they preferred the easier tasks, and they were also more interested in their competitive standing, how they measured up to others. Were they just as smart as the others? So that was more important to them than learning how to improve their future performance. It was all about the now. Now, on the other side, kids who were praised for their effort showed the opposite trend. They preferred tasks that were challenging, right, because of their effort, and tasks that they could learn from. So the kids praised for their effort were more interested in learning new strategies for success. See, the kids that were getting used to getting praised for their ability, being smart, were more likely to give up after failure, more likely to perform poorly after failure, and more likely to misrepresent how they did on a test. And that was one of the keys, as the kids that were praised for their high intelligence being smart were more likely to view their failures as evidence of low intelligence. So when you praise kids for their intelligence, being smart, they learn to view their failures as evidence of stupidity, they said. So in other experiments, kids were given a, you know, a moderately difficult problem to solve, and when each kid finished, they were told, wow, you did really well in those problems. You got a really high score. Then, all right, they all got that. From there, they split it up between the kids. Some were praised for their intelligence. They said, 
You must be smart at these problems. Some were praised for their effort. You must have worked hard at these problems. And some were given no feedback at all. Right? The control group. Then after that, the kids were given a second set of problems. Very difficult ones. And the kids were asked to explain why they didn't do very well. The kids who were praised for their intelligence on the previous task said their failure was lack of intelligence. Those praised for effort said their failure was a lack of effort. Interesting. So what's the bottom line? It becomes clear that instead of telling your child they're smart or talented, try some of these alternatives. Praise your child on their strategies. Man, you found a really good way to do it. Praise them on specific work. You did a great job with those math problems. Praise your child for persistence or effort. I can see you've been practicing. Or your hard work has really paid off. See, the key is praise them for their effort, not their innate ability. can help them build a better mindset for learning, growing, and becoming better. And let me add dealing with failure. So there you have it. That's our Geeky Scarly article. Next up is listener email. Oh, boy. This is Sam from California. Welcome, Sam. Says, Kurt, thanks for the podcast. Appreciate it. I'm learning a lot and getting better. All right, Sam, thanks. He says, I keep hearing. I need to think about it. I know it could be true, but what can I say? What can I do to overcome this objection? All right, Sam, we've all heard that one before. Realize that most objections, around 67%, are lies. They're trying to get rid of you. So the key before you even try to solve it is find out if it's really true. How do you do that? With another question. What exactly do you need to think about? And if they're like, well, everything, I have to think about everything, I have to go through everything, that's probably a lie. If they say, I'm really concerned about your warranty, now you know exactly what's going on. So when it's specific, then you can handle it, then you can talk about it, see if they need more information, see how you can help them out. Sometimes it can be true. I would say most of the time it's not true, but you need to respond with the question, dig a little deeper, find out what's going on, and find out exactly what they're looking for. Now, if you see a trend, everyone bringing up the same thing, you need to change your presentation and bring that in and try to solve it during your presentation so it doesn't come up at the end. You want to make it as easy as possible, as we talked about last podcast, for them to do business with you. Are they really thinking about it? Are they sitting on the fence? We see this in retail. Well, that's great. You can do that. But you know, if you get this now and find it cheaper anywhere else, we'll 10x the difference. You're like, oh, well, hey, I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose to help them make the decision. Now, it's doubtful that they're going to go look and check others out, but they might. But it gives them the reassurance that you're the best product, best service, best fill in the blank to be able to do that. So, Sam, that's your answer. Find out for sure that it's the real objection. What exactly are you going to think about? And when they say everything, or you can see it in their demeanor where they're just saying and trying to get rid of you. And some cultures are more blunt than others. But since you're from the United States, they tend to lie to you and make up something and leave. So let's get into our content. The three critical but forgotten sales and persuasion techniques. Some people ignore these. They've forgotten about them. The first one is slow is fast. You're like, what? Ah, we want to be one and done in the persuasion process. We want to be one and done in negotiation. But if we take the time to get to know the person, well, I don't have time for that. Well, if they don't trust you, they don't like you, persuasion's difficult. You want to get right to the point, tell them what they need to do. Here's the cost. Well, that's great. But maybe they need to know that you are the expert, that you are the consultant, that they should be listening to you. 
See, we hurry up and don't build the trust or the relationship or prove that we're the expert. Then that was fast, but then you didn't persuade them. So slow is fast a lot of times to where we have to understand the human brain. It's much easier to persuade the brain a little bit of the time than a lot at a time, right? Foot in the door. We've talked about that. That three, four, five, six yeses is much easier than one big yes. So get the smaller yeses, get the easiest answers first. And if it's a negotiation, resolve the easiest issues first. When you start out nice, get to know the person. Harvard studies show that it was a 4% bump in success. Now it's only 4%, but, but if each tool that you add adds 4% to your success rate, this could do wonders for ability to persuade, influence, and make more money. Part of that too, the slowest fast, is a lot of times, especially in negotiation, is we accept too fast. Oh, okay, I'll take it. If they're coming to play the game, we talked about this probably three or four podcasts ago, if they're coming to play the game, you have to play the game. Psychologically, that if you accept too fast, they're like, wait a minute, that was too easy. What's going on? They said, yes, they're supposed to bar, especially North Americans who aren't trained to negotiate very well. And this is what I mean. Most countries, most cultures, when you say how much, that's the starting point of the negotiation. <laughs> North America, especially the United States, oh, okay, here you go. No, we can ask, we can negotiate. Don't accept too fast. So slow is fast. That's true with the relationship, building trust, the whole entire process. I know you think fast is fast. Attention spans are low. Got to get it done. Got to cross off our list. But then you miss out on the trust, the relationship, the persuasion process. You just regurgitated what you wanted to say, and you missed out on the important pieces of persuasion. So you slow it down a little bit. It's actually faster because, A, you get the business, and B, you get a lot less resistance. All right, next one. Dumb is smart. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're dealing with another company, you've, you've met them for the first time, another prospect where, hey, I'm the smartest, I'm the best negotiator, I'm the best there is. That causes a lot of resistance. If people think you're too slick, you're too smart, you're too arrogant, that puts the brakes on the persuasion process. Again, especially negotiation. Imagine if you said, I'm the best negotiator. Resistance, or you just came across that way. So I'm not saying being a Forrest Gump dumb, but just being more of someone that's there to serve them, to help them, to make sure they have the best solution. One of the big ones here is that you are a consultant here. You're asking the questions, you're listening. You're there to listen, ask questions, consult, talk it through, and find the best solution for them. Versus... Sometimes you come across as arrogant or trying to be too smart when you're interrogating, back in a corner, proving they're wrong, that there's only one solution and you know what it is. And that's happened to me. We talked about contractors before this podcast where they're like, no, we don't want to do that. I'm like, that's what I want. This is my house. No, that's not a good idea. You should be doing this. You should be doing this. Who told you that? It's like, well, it's my idea. Okay. So whether that's true or not is not part of that. But when you come across as too arrogant, too smart without really finding out their wants and needs. That's one of the lost tools of persuasion and influence is you're just going right for the jugular, is you go right to it, tell what to do, prove your worth, which is important, but it's done in an arrogant way and it's done in a way to where people will resist you. And that's important to understand. Any persuasion tool the wrong way causes resistance. And the third one, very hard for a lot of people. It's been lost. 
forgotten, overlooked, snubbed, slighted, whatever you want to call it. And from my experience, especially as you get younger in the workforce, apology is cheap. <laughs> what does that mean? Learn to apologize. Now, first of all, verbal packaging. That's one of the 12 laws of persuasion. We know that saying I apologize is much stronger than saying I'm sorry, just as far as word choice is concerned. So that's important to understand. We know in a negotiation, a lot of times people are coming in with their gloves on, they're ready to wrestle, ready to go after it. Even in seminars, when I do negotiation seminars, people say they're altruistic, they're going to want the win-win, but when it starts, those gloves come on and they're negotiating, especially when something's on the line. When somebody's angry with you, they're upset, they're mad, they feel like they've been wronged. And when they feel like wrong, they need someone to blame. Now, it's probably going to be you, you're in the room. Now, I'm not saying do this 100% of the time, but if you want to continue the persuasion process at that moment instead of another time, because when people get angry, blood leaves the brain, they're not thinking clearly, and then they're in the wrong state, the wrong mood, and it's not a time to persuade them. So you have to reschedule, come back another time, take a break, or you can find someone to blame. Own it. If it's not a big deal, apologize. Hey, I'm sorry that was not my intent. Well, just don't do it again. Okay. And watch that anger melt away. Now, again, I'm not saying every time, but hey, if it's not a big deal, was it your intent? Own it, because they're looking for it, and it's so easy. But people don't have the emotional intelligence, the esteem, whatever you want to call it, just say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, or I'm sorry, yeah, we blew it. So you don't have to blame point fingers, and that was part of my research for laws of charisma. Charismatic leaders, they have the ability to own up. I made a mistake. I blew it. I'm sorry. I apologize. Because if you're never wrong, it's always somebody else's fault, then that hurts people's trust of you, number one. But number two, they hold on to that emotion, and it can turn into resentment. What is resentment? That's when you're refeeling or rehashing a feeling. Resentment comes from the word sentir, which means to refeel, rehash the moment you were wronged. So you have to be careful with those. So I'm not saying all the time. It's just people just aren't willing to own up. My mistake. I'm sorry. Not my intent. I blew it, whatever it is, can really diffuse the situation. So there you go. To review, slow is fast. I know you're in a hurry, you want to get it done, lots of things to do, but then you're not going to be able to persuade them or it's going to take a lot longer, cause resistance. Dumb is smart. Be there to serve them, to help them, to ask the questions, to be the consultant instead of the interrogator. And apology is cheap. Work on that esteem. Work on that emotional intelligence. And it's amazing when you do that, how fast you're like, okay, I forgive you. Don't do it again. Whatever it is, it makes a huge difference. So there you have it. The three critical, but forgotten, unknown, unfamiliar, overlooked. A lot of people aren't even talking about them anymore in the training world, but very important. So pick one of those, apply it, use it, especially as persuasions changed. We're adapting to that, but there are some standard tools like a screwdriver, pair of pliers, whatever you want to call it, that always work. So thanks for being here. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. All the links for everything I talked about is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Remember, we can be found at iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio under Maximize Your Influence. And remember, we're beta testing. Huge discount. Because I'm doing research on presentation IQ. Not to be confused with persuasion IQ. So do this. Go to presentationiq.com. Ten questions. Helps you with my research. It's going to help you peg. Are you a persuader or a presenter? 
Are you an informer or an influencer? Are you just communicating or are you convincing people? There's certain things you can do when you put those worlds together. And for doing that, it'll unlock the perfect persuasive presentation with the template, the format, the structure, everything you need to know to do that. I'll give you that for free just for helping me out with my research at presentationiq.com. Check it out. Help me out. Help yourself out. And it'll make a huge difference in your success. So again, take something you use today, become more influential, a better negotiator, and go out and persuade with power.